0: Welcome back to the Emergency Goalies Podcast. A bit of a longer week than we expected, but uh, my uh, co-host Michael is a little under the weather, so we have an extra game to recap, but it was a good result, so it's better to, you know, it's better to wait an extra game if you get a win than a loss. So The first game of the Blackhawks this week was uh, last Friday. Uh, you'll be listening to this on a Saturday, so... Uh, eight days ago, um, the Predators came to Chicago to play the Blackhawks. And this was a game where not much was happening early on. The teams kind of, you know, stayed even through the first period. Most of the second period, but the uh, Predators scored late in the second period. Uh, Matthias Ekholm scored, and it gave the Predators a one nothing lead. And, you know, you're thinking this is going to be another one of those Games the Blackhawks hung around in, but just didn't do quite enough to, to you know, get the get a win. But in the third period, Alex DeBrincat finally starting to wake up a little bit, uh, scored a goal on a power play, which I mean, again, is big news. Just anytime he can get a power play goal out of the Blackhawks, uh, but he uh, scored a goal and uh, the Blackhawks were able to tie it. And they really played well in this third period. They they were having the better of the play, but Peccarina was able to keep his team in the game and it went to overtime and you No, know, Alex to bring it again. This is a big game for Alex, uh, got a got a rush late in overtime and was able to put the game away and the Blackhawks uh, pulled out a two to one victory. So I'll just ask you, Michael, for any thoughts you might have on this game.
1: I think he covered it pretty well. It wasn't it wasn't a great first forty minutes for the Blackhawks, um, but they really came out, played a strong third period, fought back in the game. Didn't seem like one where they they were gonna have much of a chance, but um, you know, uh, you you could really see the weight lifted off of Alex DeBrink a little bit uh, in that game where you know he he got a little. Got a little uh, puck luck or whatever and um, was able to kind of break through on the score sheet not just once, but twice. And uh, you could see how happy he was and just as importantly, how happy his teammates were for him. So, you know, that that was definitely the big takeaway in the game was just, uh, you know, being able to, you know, build off of that, and as you said, too, they, you know, they scored a power play goal, which, you know, the team had plummeted all the way to last in the league in, uh power play uh, uh, conversion percentage, but, uh, you know, the that kind of became a theme for the week, as they started to kind of convert a little bit, and, you know, as we get... To, To the end of these reviews here, we'll see that they've actually climbed up to, like, 27th or 28th or something like that in the league, just with, you know, a couple of of good games worth of power play.
0: Yes, so um, then uh, they had the the, um, game on Sunday. They had a day off and then traveled to Dallas to take on the Stars for an afternoon game. And, you know, this game was kind of, again, a lot like the... uh, Predators game, not a ton happened in this game um, but the Stars took the lead early. You know, still weird to say, the Stars took the lead on a Joe Pavelski goal but he's on the Stars now and he gave them a the lead and you know, the Blackhawks weren't doing much early but again, they got a power play in the second period and they scored again on the power play. A nice pass across to Dominique Kubelik who is starting to heat back up again but he was able to bang one in on a one time run the power play, but the Stars were able to come back and a real a very like scrambled play in front of the goal that uh Tyler Seguin, uh Tyler Sagan, I don't know why it's Seguin, But Tyler Sagan was able to uh fight the rebound into the net and give the stars a two to one lead and you know, the rest of the game the Blackhawks kinda made a push but there was never any really like dramatic big play or anything that they that the stars had to stop or anything. They just kind of kept them in check and it was a 2 to 1 Dallas victory. But yeah, I'll, I'll kick it to you a bit, but there's really not much to say about this game. No,
1: this was uh I I wouldn't say boring, but um the the stars are a very solid defensive team. They play a real well-structured game. They got a lot of veterans. They know what they're doing. And, you know, you look at the surface stats in this game, and it was pretty evenly uh, divided uh, in the, the, the shot on goal attempts. But the Blackhawks really never got anything from the middle of the ice. This was a very perimeter-oriented game. And despite the fact that they received five power plays <laughs> against the Stars' zero in the game, and the Blackhawks' only goal came on the power play, but just in five-on-five play, the, the Stars controlled all of the important areas of the ice. And even though the Blackhawks, I thought, played a pretty solid defensive game themselves, it was just they never really threatened uh, Kudobin in, in net very much. They never got any traffic in front of him. He just, you know, it was a for making, th- you know 30-some saves and only giving up one goal they never he, he never really felt like he was under siege at all. He, he never even felt like he made any difficult saves, to be honest with you. It was just not a great game. It was uh I, I would consider it kind of a soft performance by the Blackhawks. You know, they, it, one of those games where they were content to kind of skate around on the outside and, you know, they completed passes. They took some shots, but just never never really, um, you know, drove hard to the net or, um, you know, took some punishment in front to try and get a redirect or anything like that.
0: Yeah, and I will, for the end of time, every once in a while, I'll say Seguin instead of Sagan. I don't know why I do that, but it's just, I guess, the thing with the... I say it like it looks like, I don't know. Anyway, um, we go from a game that was pretty dull to one that was very much not dull. Uh, We will, of course, we'll address the trade deadline that came in between these two games, but we'll do that after the recap, but um, the Blackhawks on Tuesday traveled to St. Louis, and this was an interesting game. Uh, the Blackhawks immediately, within the first 30 seconds, committed a penalty, and the Blues instantly scored on a power play, and you were thinking, this one might get ugly quick. But the Blackhawks battled back on the first period, Duncan Keith with goal number 100 of his career, which that was very nice, and on the power play. So two big achievements, but obviously Duncan Keith, 100th goal, big deal for him. He was able to tie the score. And then Connor Murphy, another unlikely goal scorer, uh, also scored in the first period, and the Blackhawks had a 2-1 to lead. Then we, we head to the second period, and again on the power play, Patrick Kane was able to score, and they were up 3-1, to and you're like, 3-1 with two power play goals. That's good. But, of course, as every every Blackhawks fan probably remembers, the last time the Blackhawks were in St. Louis, they were up 3 nothing in the third period and ended up losing. So, no one was very confident in the Blackhawks effort, but, you know, they were up 3-1. to And then the Blues came on big time. They uh, scored in the second period to tie the score. Or not tie the score, to come within one goal. And then the third period... Pretty much out of the gate the first five minutes. They scored two goals. in about 20 seconds total elapsed time. I'm, let me I'm doing the math now. I'm looking at the 17 seconds apart. Ryan O'Reilly and Zach, Zach Sanford scored. And the Blues took a 4-3 lead. And you're thinking, well, they, at least they made it quicker this time, the Blues. And this is probably it. But, uh... No, the Blackhawks fought right back. Uh, Matthew Highmore, very unlikely goal scorer. And then Brandon Sod on a power play. So that's the Blackhawks' third power play goal of the game. And they uh, took a 5-4 to lead. And you're thinking, well, let's see how long they can hold this. And the answer was about a minute and a half. Because Justin Falk came right back in and scored to tie the... Came at 5 and then later in the period the Blues got a power play and Zach Sanford again scored to give the Blues a 6-5 to lead. The Blackhawks made a push at the end but the Blues were able to take it home and you know it's just one of those. The Blackhawks have had a couple games in St. Louis where you're thinking maybe they'll sneak out a win and the Blues just, their offense is so good that they just kind of put the hammer down. This
1: kind of reminded me of the Vancouver game from a while back where I I think the final score in that one ended up being 6 to 5 or 7 to 5 or something like that where you know you you, you think on just by looking at it on the surface that you'd say, "Oh, wow, the Blackhawks played terrible or they were playing this really open-ended style and, you know, just kind of running and gunning, but I didn't really think that was the case. I thought both teams, you know, th- there were stretches where each team struggled a little bit, but both teams showed a lot of effort and were were fighting back. Blackhawks definitely benefited. It, you know, they 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 managed to stay in this game thanks to the to their ability to convert on the power play. Going three for four is fairly unusual, um, as you would, um, you know. Uh, I, I don't I, I can't remember the last time the the you know the Hawks converted two power plays in a game let alone three that's might this might be the only time all year to be honest with you so with a with a normal uh, power play effort you wouldn't you know you wouldn't have been able to see the the Hawks quite hang with the Blues as long as they did but you know it definitely a a, a game where the better team won the deeper team won but I wouldn't crop it up to a lack of effort or anything on the Hawks. I actually thought the Hawks showed a lot more character in this game with their ability to fight back um, and more of a willingness to to play in the dirty areas than they had in the previous game, which uh, you know we kind of talked about with that. Um, and so, yeah, I just... I, one of those games where you don't you don't really mind losing it, and it was entertaining. This was this was a lot more um, in the vein of the Blackhawks games from the second half of last year, where they were starting to play better and you know more end to end action. But kind of the going back to our old mantra from last year of, well, Blackhawks maybe may not be very good, but at least they're not boring. And that that that's that's how I would uh, characterize not just this game, but the following game two days later.
0: Yeah, and I, I will add too. Just like if you told somebody oh, the Blackhawks are gonna score three power play goals in a game, that would be you think they'd have to win that for sure. But no, I
1: I, I would like to shout out the uh, you know you you had mentioned it, but the the 100th goal for Keith uh, it, it it was the first time he had scored in 40 games, and you know we all know the issues Duncan Keith has uh, with getting his shot on net at this point in his career, and, you know, he never had the heaviest shot to begin with, and, um, you know, de- definitely fallen off in that, in that category quite severely over the last three or four years. His offense has definitely suffered more than his defense at this point, but, um, you know, he got an opportunity to really walk in. Uh, Tave's Provided a nice little pick on the play to keep uh, uh, the Blues' uh, support from getting out to Keith. Um, it was kind of reminiscent of I can't remember which game it was, but Taves got called for kind of a ticky-tack uh, interference call on a goal that Kubalik had scored, and it got it got over uh, you know it got ruled as a no goal because. Of the penalty, and I, I, I thought on this particular play, Taves interfered way worse. Um, but I mean, Keith buried it. I, I, that was, you yeah. know, defensemen don't often get a chance to, to walk right to the top of the circles and just fire a shot, and he, he, he beat uh, the goalie clean. It was, it was a nice shot, and you know, congratulations to him on a hundred NHL goals. I mean, he's obviously going to go down as the Best Blackhawks defenseman of all time, and uh, you yeah, know, just a nice milestone for
0: him. Yep, and you almost call that one of those when they have the uh, hardest shot contest in the All Star mm-hmm. game. where you just going to step into it? That's what that kind of yeah, looked like. Just, he got really like, get three into it.
1: Four steps in, and he, it almost seemed like he was so surprised to have so much uh, open ice in front of him, and he just he really stepped into it and let it go, and, uh, you know, most importantly, uh, shot it accurately. <laughs> and, uh, yes. yeah, so, no, that was a great goal.
0: Right. So now we, a uh, couple nights later, uh, Thursday night, this is, we're recording it the next day, but uh, the Blackhawks went to Tampa, and this was just a weird game. That's a will describe, but there were, what would you say, Ten penalties in the first two
1: periods? it was was ugly in—I shouldn't even say ugly. I don't even—yeah, I don't know how to describe it either. It was just the play would be moving along, and then, you know, all of a sudden somebody would just get careless with a stick, and you'd get a tripping call or a high-sticking call. And so one team would go to a power play, then the next team would go to a power play, and there was just very little flow to the game. Um, just because it seemed like you never got more than two or three minutes of consecutive five-on-five play um, without a penalty being called. So, yeah, it was just
0: a really weird game. Yes, the first uh, couple periods, not much happened, but Corey Crawford played unbelievably. Like, the Lightning had great chance after great chance through the first two periods, and with the uh, exception of a Braden Point goal late in the second period, Crawford stopped everything, and, like, this game could have been 5 or 6 to nothing. It was really, like, he was under siege proportions, and he played terrifically. Mm -hmm. So, they went into the third period with a one nothing deficit, and then someone, (laughs) there was a breakdown in the very first play, and Nikita Krucharov, one of the best goal scorers in the NHL, was left with no one within, like, 20 feet of him in front of the net. And it was, like, I mean... This is the worst guy to leave wide open. Right. And he got the pass and buried it. And it was 2 nothing lightning. And you thought, well, at least Crawford kept him close in the game. Yeah. And, you know, they got to the third period. But he didn't really think anything was going to happen. And then the Blackhawks had another power play. And the power play did expire. But literally five seconds after it expired, uh, Brandon Sod got a rebound in front of the net and was able to, you know, get it by the goalie. And they cut the lead to 2-1, to one. and then about 30 seconds later, Dominique Kubelik, who was, as, we, as I said before, starting to heat up, and he really caught fire in the third period. He, um, you know, got a chance in front of the net, and I think it was the third try. His first two shots were blocked, and the third try, he was able to fire it in to tie the score to him. And you thought, wow, well, at we say fought back in this game, but... The Blackhawks were not done. Slater Cuckoo, of all people, uh, fired in a shop on the point to give the Blackhawks a 3-2 to two lead. And then Dominic Kublik again, on a power play, uh, was able to score to make it 4-2. to two. And the Blackhawks were on a mission to get Kubalik the hat trick, and they set him up for an empty net goal, and he did, and got the hat trick, and they... Blackhawks won a surprising five to two score, especially considering they were down two nothing at the start of the third period. But I mean, I don't know what to say about that. This game, it's just the Blackhawks just caught fire.
1: Yeah, the you know the Lightning were coming off of a, a few bad games and they they were a little shorthanded in the game. They they did the dress seven defenseman thing because Steven Stamkos and Blake Coleman and I think there was one other of their. Big forwards was out in the game, and unavailable, and even despite that, you know the Blackhawks had so many opportunities in the first two periods with power play opportunities that they failed to convert on, and then you know like you said that that goal early in the third period by the Lightning that put them up two to nothing, and you're just like, ugh, you know the the Blackhawks already blew their chances in this game, and it, you know the Lightning are still even if they they haven't been playing well the last week or so, they're still way better than the Blackhawks. So, you know, a 2-0 uh, deficit in the third period is probably not something that you're going to see them overcome. And I actually considered turning the game off, and I was just like, oh, maybe I'll give it a few more minutes, and then boom, and then boom, and then boom, and then boom. And, and I was just like, wow. I. I the the lightning just kind of unraveled a little bit as the game went along it it was a pretty surprising to see and um you know i had been kind of harping on the team for their effort in dallas for being so soft and being unwilling to to you know fight for rebounds fight along the boards uh and that kind of continued a little bit in the first couple of periods and I of this game, and I was pretty disheartened by it. But then in the third period, they all of a sudden, they, they decided to play with a little more grit to their game, and they started winning some of those board battles. And I I want to say it was the first Kubelik goal. I don't know that I've seen it all season long. The Blackhawks had two guys directly in front of the goaltender, and they were fighting and... Crawling and scratching for the the loose puck, and Kubelik was eventually able to put it home. And I was just like, I, I, I didn't know the Blackhawks knew how to do that. Um, but yeah, so you know, it, they only played one good period, but it was enough to to kind of break the the Lightning's uh, fragile uh, um, psyche that they're under as you know, dropping a fourth consecutive game. So hey, I mean it's uh it was only you know the Blackhawks second win in the last two weeks or whatever, and the first time they've comfortably won a game and in, in uh regulation in quite some time i I guess they did have the big eight to four win in Calgary, but beyond that uh you know i, I it's been. Probably a month since uh, the Blackhawks, because I I don't know that that Calgary game was really weird. I didn't even think the Blackhawks played all that great in that game. They just the 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 Flames were playing poorly, and all the puck luck went to the Hawks, and they were just able to convert on all of them. Uh, this game felt a little more like. You know, honestly, now that I think about it, it did seem a little bit more like the Calgary game where some some, some of this was a little bit of uh, puck luck. But, um, you know, I, I did at least appreciate the effort that they were able or that they were willing to, to, to compete in the middle of the ice more than what they've typically shown. And, you know, that, that's heartening to see too after the, you know, coming out of the trade deadline where... You know you you see a couple of of the bigger players on the hawks get moved out and you always worry that the team's gonna kind of mail it in or whatever for the rest of the season but at least so far you know they've they've come out and scored 10 goals in the two games since the trade deadline um so it 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 doesn't appear that they're they're ready to pack it in at this point they're they're still gonna kind of fight so that's 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 the best you can hope for. It's at least a good sign that Colleton hasn't lost the room and that the veterans are still you know, willing to to kind of, you know, to lead the, 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 the team and not let them pack it in. So that that's at least some encouragement.
0: Yes, so as you mentioned the uh, trade deadline was Monday and the Blackhawks only made two moves. Yeah. You know, you're wondering about uh, other moves they might make, but as we talk about the sod thing, was we're going to see what moves the Bruins and people made, and the Bruins uh, traded for Andre Kass- Kassier, Kasha. I remember Kasha. There we go. I knew I knew I'd butcher that name, Andre Kasha from the Ducks. So that kind of closed up the sod, uh trade talks. So then, obviously Gustafson, as we expected, got traded to Calgary, not Vegas, but he was moved. And then uh, Robin Leonard with a, I'm, you know, I'm going to be honest. I was a little surprised where he went that he was traded to Vegas. That kind of caught me off guard.
1: I'll be honest. It was not a team that I really gave much consideration to simply because, you know, they do have a big name goalie and he is a guy that's played well the last couple of years. But then after the move got made and I, I, I kind of, you know, I looked at the stats, and I'm like, wow, Marc-Andre Fleury actually hasn't been putting up that that good of numbers, and, you know, he's a 35-year-old goaltender. You know, obviously, he's got as much experience as you want. He's a Stanley Cup winner, but, you know, it certainly seems, in hindsight, that this is a situation that, um, you know, they could have been looking for a little bit of insurance, and uh, Leonard provides that because the other, you the, uh, the other key thing is, and we kind of mentioned this in the uh, run up to the deadline and that I, I wasn't expecting a huge return for Leonard simply because, you know, there's so little of a market for goaltenders. I mean, you know, even Carolina who lost both of their goaltenders to, to injury, they kind of felt handcuffed and they, they weren't really looking at the rental market just because they still had two goaltenders under contract through next year no team really wants to pay three goaltenders and keep three goaltenders on their NHL roster
0: mm-hmm.
1: so you know and it, it, you know then there's teams like Calgary and Philadelphia who are kind of competing for the playoffs and they have a young goaltender that they like but you know think oh well maybe they want a a, a veteran to to kind of be a fallback option, but you know they already had. You know Calgary has Cam Talbot in that role, and so to take Robin Leonard on, they'd have to trade Cam Talbot back to the Hawks, and that's you know that's not really conducive. Doesn't really provide much of an upgrade for Calgary either, because you know at most you think you're renting a goaltender. They don't play every game, and you're just not getting them for very long, but going to, to Vegas it, it it did kind of make some sense because you know not only did they need a little bit of insurance for flurry but they did not have a second goaltender that they were paying they had like they, they have like four under go- four other goaltenders under contract but they're all young guys making league minimum basically and and in mm-hmm. that sense you know they were able to send Malcolm suban back to the Blackhawks in the deal and it wasn't mm-hmm. It wasn't a hindrance to anybody. The Blackhawks were willing to take mm-hmm. it, and it just it it worked out worked out well on both ends. And um,
0: well, that was too. I was going to add. Um, there is this weird where the uh, Maple Leafs, the the Blackhawks, technically traded Leonard yeah. and the Maple Leafs for. It was a weird. Yeah. That. It,
1: um. You know, so it, it it was basically done so that the the Maple Leafs could retain part of the salary um, of Lennar. So basically half of Lennar's salary is getting covered by teams other than Vegas, just so that Vegas could fit, fit it under the salary cap. Um, the Blackhawks are retaining most of that salary, but for some reason Toronto was brought on board to, to um, retain like a half a million dollars or something. And they managed to get an unsigned draft pick out of the, or like a fifth round pick or something out of the deal. I, I, am not totally sure. I think it might be somewhat due to the Blackhawks potentially wanting to, um, cover some of their, um, bonus clauses for their young players. You know, guys like Kirby Doc and Adam Boquist, um, Nylander, these guys, they, you know, they, these high draft picks, they're, their entry-level contracts only call for, um, you know, like a $900,000 salary or whatever. Um, but they have um, escalators in their contracts for performance incentives. And, you know, this is something that Blackhawks fans might be a little bit familiar with, with like Artemi Panera in all those years where, you know, yes. the first couple of years— you look at the cap hit, and it's like, oh, he's he's only going to cost like eight hundred thousand against the cap. Well, no, he ended up costing like two or three million dollars because he hit every single one of his escalators.
0: Um, yeah, it was part of the reason they traded him right. too, but was they were worried about the bonuses. Yeah,
1: and part of that is, you know, it, it's not quite as bad as it sounds because if they hit all those bonuses, it gets carried over into next year's cap in case you know you you don't have the room this year and
0: but obviously wanna, the blackhawks would like to avoid right,
1: that in a year where you're not competing for the playoffs you, you you'd like to avoid uh that especially next year when you know you got to pay kublik you got to pay strom you know and you you're hoping for um a little bit of uh uh wiggle room but I, you know, I can't say for certain that that's what the Blackhawks' thinking was on this because this is one of those years where the salary cap is a little hard to wrap your head around just because they have so many guys on the long-term injured reserve. And I, I, I struggle to kind of figure out exactly how that applies with the bonus. Because there have been times where the Blackhawks have been over the cap due to, you know, they, they've got $15 million or whatever sitting on long-term injury reserve with Seabrook and DeHaan and Shaw, and they've had to, you know, you're, you're those guys still, you, you know, you have those guys, and then you have to pay for their replacements. And so there were times where they, the, the Hawks were over, but um, it was allowed. And so I, I just, I don't know exactly how that plays into it, but that's the only thing I can think of as why the Blackhawks would involve the Maple Leafs in the deal, so. I don't
0: know. Yeah. But so I was gonna ask you too, 'cause we, we you and me got in a little bit of a, a Twitter discussion with um our buddy Sam Fells, who has his own black ox blog, but uh I think we're a little more partial to Leonard and we like what Leonard offered and Sam was very much uh in the pro Crawford camp, but not that I'm not in the pro Crawford camp, but he was not he's not a fan of Robin Leonard and was very happy to see him go, but I just thought I'd ask you like, cause this little discussion we had, I thought Leonard was pretty good, but obviously there's some people that feel the other way about him and were happy he was traded.
1: Yeah. I'm non. I'm, I'm basically non-committal on the whole thing. Um, I, I really think this is one of those situations where you can't really judge it from the outside. I mean, obviously Robin Leonard is very outspoken. Um, In both the media and then on his own social media accounts on Twitter and all that he's he's a guy who speaks his mind which is definitely something that is counter to much of the traditional hockey culture Um, but at the same time a lot of people do seem to like him but going back to the traditional hockey culture you always have to kind of keep in the back of your mind or are people just not saying what they really think about Leonard you just you, you, you don't really know what what his actual reputation is um, inside the locker room if guys you know could maybe hold a little bit of a grudge when he calls out the team for their effort and um, that sort of thing you just you, you, you really can't say and then you add on the layer of, Because Robin Leonard is such a good interview, and um, he is outgoing and funny, and he's always willing to work with reporters, willing to sit and give them a good interview, the reporters all love him (laughs) because he makes their (laughs) job easier, and so you always got to worry about the slant of, you know, are the reporters giving Leonard the benefit of the doubt...
0: Um. Yeah, well, there's this whole thing that came out after he was moved that, you know, there were reports that he was willing to take a three-year deal Mm -hmm. for less money, but then other sources were saying, well, he was never offered a three-year deal, and he wanted more, and there's this kind of back and forth over this contract negotiation, I do wonder if you're right, that he might be spinning later to favorable sources but yeah, yeah the, it's
1: the, the report afterwards with like oh i would have been willing to take less on a three-year deal but the blackhawks never offered it to me uh, my immediate response or my immediate impression of that was oh well that's leonard's agent wanting to get that out there because you know a couple of months ago it seemed like it was going to be a, a no-brainer for leonard to sign a, a contract extension here And then the fact that it didn't work out in the end you just you kind of were you you, kind of think oh his representatives want to get something like that out there um you know that the blackhawks were being unreasonable because you know you don't want to have that that rep uh of your player you know constantly taking one-year deals and Um, you know, potentially the, you know, all these teams willing to move on from him. You, 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 you'd want to kind of paint a good picture that, um, you know, it wasn't the player's fault. It's the team's fault. And so, yeah, there, there just seems to be a lot of, a lot of back and forth. I I don't really, I I can't really say what, what's going on. We're, we're not involved in these conversations and everybody's going to have their own opinion. Um. And I just I, I don't know that there's any way that we're going to be able to cut through any of it from the outside. Um, but I, I mean, I enjoyed Robin Leonard's play. I enjoyed his yeah. off the off the ice stuff. I I enjoyed his honesty. But I I don't have to play with Robin Leonard. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just because that he has a good personality to the media, and that it doesn't necessarily mean he's a good teammate. I don't. I I honestly have no idea. I.
0: Well, you know, from Mike's perspective, it was just, I like Corey Crawford and I like Robin Leonard. I thought they were both good, so I'm kind of neutral, I guess. You know, and
1: Leonard did come out, like I think it was yesterday or whatever, and kind of complained a little bit about the fact that he was never really fully given the net. And I understand his position a little bit on that. I mean, especially early in the year, he was clearly outplaying Crawford, um, but wasn't given significantly more starts than Crawford. But at the same time, these goalies have to realize that in this day and age, 60% of the starts is the most that they're going to get. Teams understand yes. nowadays, they, they have all of the, the, the analytics to back up the fact that if you overplay your goaltenders, they get worse.
0: And yes. so no one is no one's gonna um pull a Mika, Mika Kippers up anymore. Yeah, you're never those days the, are
1: the the days of Grant Fuhr playing seventy four games in a season are over. Um at most you're gonna see is usually sixty a a sixty forty split and despite the fact that Robin Leonard may have been outplaying Corey Crawford, Corey Crawford is still Corey Crawford. And Corey Crawford has the respect of everybody in that room everybody in the organization loves him there's no way that they were ever going to disrespect Crawford and not give him an opportunity to you know work his way out of the early season doldrums that he was in a little bit and credit to Crawford he did exactly that I mean he started playing better at the end of the year and from the start of January until now He's been the better goalie.
0: <laughs> yeah, the last game he played, he was outstanding. Yeah, yeah.
1: so, I mean, I, I can definitely understand Leonard's point of view in that, you know, he'd he he he'd want to he, – he probably feels like he deserved a little bit more playing time, but at the same time, nobody was going to be running Corey Crawford out of town. Nobody was going to be – you know, you, you're not going to have Corey Crawford sitting on your bench – for, you know, seventy five percent of the games when he's won two Stanley Cups with this group and everybody wants to see Corey Crawford succeed. It's just it's not a reasonable expectation.
0: Yeah, and I would I would say I mean, I'm not we're not gonna speculate here, but you'd assume it'd be pretty much pretty much a mortal lock that Crawford would sign a short, like, two or three year you yeah. know probably a little discount deal to stay with the right. Blackhawks. Yeah, I mean and and Crawford has said in the past that
1: at this point in his career he doesn't really feel like he wants to go anywhere to be a backup. He you know, he's not going to go chasing a Stanley Cup with, you know, a a good team and go be their backup or whatever. He's he if he's going to play, he wants to start and He obviously prefers staying in Chicago over going anywhere else. So, at this point, I just assume that they're going to work out a, you know, a one or a two-year deal for a fairly reasonable salary. I mean, he's he's making six million dollars this year. My guess is it'll, you know, maybe like a a two-year seven million dollar contract or two-year eight million dollars something like that. And just he'll give them a bridge um, while they kind of reassess where they're at as an organization and kind of move a little bit more towards a rebuild And that, you know, I I think whatever hopes that the Blackhawks entered the season with, that they could potentially kind of short-circuit a a rebuild and, um, you know, jump back into the playoffs this year and then, you know, if if things fell right maybe, you know, in a year or so while Taves and Kane are still around that, you know, they could potentially, you know, jump up a level and get back back up into cup contention. I I think those hopes evaporated over uh, the course of this season and when you're Mm -hmm. looking at an honest assessment of this team and where they're going to be at over the next two years – does it make sense to pay a goalie nine million dollars? In my, in you know, regardless of how well that goalie is playing, I, I, it, to me it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't provide any bang for the buck. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you know, the you, you have to. Uh, in a rebuilding situation, you have to fix the other parts of your team first and then you can get the goalie later that's kind of the last piece as far as i'm concerned um
0: yes no for goal goalies have gotten to be i don't want to say more you know but they're just not as valuable as they once were yeah
1: and uh so yeah and you know in, in an off season where you have a bunch of restricted free agents that you need to sign um you got to sort through a bunch of young players you have to figure out how all of your pieces are going to fit on defense where You've already got, you know, like five or six veterans signed for next year, but you still got to figure out a way to get Boquist, get Ian Mitchell signed, and figure out how that's all going to fall into place. I, you know, I just I, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me that you're going to pay top money for a goaltender. You gotta you gotta figure the rest out first, and in the meantime, you have a respected veteran that wants to stay and is, at least at this point, still playing pretty well. I mean, overall, Crawford's numbers aren't going to match Leonard's uh, over the course of the season. Uh, Leonard, when he's at the top of his game, has proven he's a Vezina-caliber goaltender. I mean, he's done it in multiple locations. He's got one of the best save percentages in the league under different systems, different coaches, different environments. There's no questioning his talent. Um, but is there that much of a difference between Leonard and Crawford where you're willing to pay Leonard twice as much money? Uh, to me, that's that's not, no. not a wise investment. So I have no real issue with the decision they made. And they got about what I expected the return would be for Leonard. I was I was kind of in the back of my mind hoping for a second round pick and a prospect. They got a second mm-hmm. round pick. I was kind of hoping for a prospect that I had maybe heard of before. <laughs> um, I'm not familiar with the defenseman that they got. Um, he is a guy that plays with Ian Mitchell uh, in, in Denver, so I'm kind of hoping the next time I get a opportunity to check out Mitchell's play that uh, maybe I'll pay a little more attention and look for this guy just to kind of to get a a a read on him but um yeah I mean you know it was an acceptable deal and and the Gustafson deal is a, a little bit disappointing if you would have asked me prior to the deadline I would have said I hoped for a second round pick for him or you know maybe if you had to settle for a third round pick that you could also get, you know, maybe a fourth or a fifth round pick or something thrown in on the deal. Mm-hmm.
0: Um Yeah. Unfortunately there's a bit of a run on defensemen that yeah. run on defensemen at the deadline and and it kinda that kinda weakened the market.
1: seemed all the playoff teams that did pick up defensemen all seemed to be targeting stay at home defensemen. Nobody was nobody really paid any prices for, uh, you know, puck movers. And that's most certainly what Gustafson is. And, you know, we all know he's a bit of a liability at the defensive end, and that's definitely not something that's uh, looked upon uh, (laughs) favorably for a contending team is to have a potential liability in their own zone during the playoffs. And, you know, I mean, Gustafson is a better player than he was a few years ago when he actually did get to participate in the playoffs with the Blackhawks. And that that series is uh, um, kind of a, a touchpoint for um, why he's a bit of a, uh, a whipping boy for some Blackhawks fans because Gustafson did not play well in that series, and he did commit some egregious turnovers and, um, you know, gave up some goals that uh, kind of haunted the Blackhawks in that series. But, yeah, so, you know, <laughs> I went into the, the, to the deadline thinking, oh, well, maybe some of these uh, injuries in, in Carolina or when the Chris Kreider extension was announced, I was like, oh, well, maybe that'll entice somebody to pursue Brandon Sod a little bit more. So... I entered the day thinking the Blackhawks weren't going to do much, but as the day kind of progressed, I was like, ooh, maybe they're going to be able to, you know, especially as the, the, the day went on and the Blackhawks were kind of silent, um, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, oh, if this was just, you know, if they're just going to be moving uh, Gustafson and Leonard," you know, those are the kind of deals I kind of felt like, okay, those are kind of the no-brainer ones. They they just take the best that's there and they it kind of happens relatively quickly. But as the day went on and things were silent, I was like, "Oh, they must be working on something big. And maybe they were, and it just never came together. Um, but, you know, what it ended up was basically they did the bare minimum. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was just, you know, uh, certainly not something to be excited about, but they did. They did what they needed to do, basically, and you know it's it's hard to fault them for that. I, it, while I think it's possible, you know that it might be it might be in their best interest to move a Brandon Sod or somebody like that. It's not like I feel like they blew an opportunity. They can still get a, a you know a roughly similar deal or potentially even more in the off season, just because teams will have a little bit more wiggle room um as far as cap space and that you have a few more teams maybe competing in a trade as opposed to you know this time of year where you know you you might only have one or two teams interested so it, it you know we'll see um I, yeah. I I can't be. I'm not upset about the the deadline or anything. I know there's a lot of fans who're like, oh, they didn't get enough and they didn't do enough and they needed to blow this team up. I don't I don't think any of those things are true. Um, I was you know, my my enthusiasm was certainly tempered, but it wasn't. I don't think that they've set the franchise back or anything, and uh, a lot of the no, a, a lot of there there wasn't much yeah, to move. I mean,
0: there were not many people they could right. move. So a
1: lot of the things that you know you'd like to see them potentially accomplish to kind of shake up the club a little bit are all things that can still happen in the off season. So um, yeah, it's just you know uh, I I think we were all hoping for a sliver of hope that the Blackhawks were going to be able to to pull off some you know miracle deal fleece some other team into giving them you know, something grand. And there was that really weird situation, like the day before the deadline, where uh, one of the major reporters apparently was fed wrong information or somebody was trying to get a story out there where um, there's a goaltender prospect for the Islanders who... Um, is considered the best goaltender outside of the NHL. He's a he's a 25-year-old um, who has been one of the, the, the best goaltenders in the KHL, and he's expected to come over from the KHL to the NHL next season. And there was a, a report from, I think it was Darren Drager, um, you know, who's one of the bigger national NHL reporters, and He's like oh hearing rumors that uh the blackhawks and islanders have a deal in place for this goaltender and everybody got real excited and then like a couple of minutes later i see some tweets from uh some of the the russian sources and they're like no nobody we haven't heard anything about this and then drager had to come out like 30 minutes later and he said oh yeah no that the, the, no deal in place and it was just like, oh, so maybe the Blackhawks were working on something bigger behind the scenes, and stuff fell fell through. But you know, mm-hmm. it's just for 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 a split second, I was like, oh wow, we're we, you know, maybe they're gonna trade both Crawford and Leonard, and we're gonna get this guy and Blackhawks, you know, I'm yeah, like, hey, no, but nope, no nope, nope, all, all, right. all evaporated.
0: Well, since we went, we've gone kind of long talking about the trade deadline and stuff, so I don't think we'll do a preview, and you know yeah. at this point, that we'll, we'll do it next week, but it was more important, I think, to, to break down the trade deadline and yeah, stuff, yeah. so alright, well of course, on Twitter I am STH85 Michael. underscore Ernst Yep, and you can uh, subscribe to the podcast on the Apple Podcast app, and yeah, the Blackhawks you know, got some more games to go, not much to play for, but they can have his games as exciting as some of the ones this week. That, that'll be pretty good, so maybe they can keep that up. All right, and as always, thank you everyone for listening.